Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and to all you good listeners, wherever you may be. Coming to you from sunny living in the south of Spain, this is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur, with a new inspiring episode of Beyond Eight Figures. Let's get into it. There are entrepreneurs who create businesses, and then there are entrepreneurs who create growth systems to rinse and repeat their efforts. Our guest today has grown teams, culture, and business systems that yield multiple multi-million dollar businesses. He has served as a business advisor, mentor, board member, and investor for businesses and executives who desire additional business growth. And today he returns to the show to share some advice and help you grow your business. Welcome, Chris Guerrero. I'm so thrilled to talk to you today. It's a real honor. So tell us, what has changed since you were last on the show? Uh, and things are on, things are going very, very well. Um, you know, since the last time I was here, you know, we had a couple of changes in the world with COVID, obviously. So, uh, and I won't belabor that because I'm sure every one of your podcasts has spoken a little bit about that stuff and the changes that have occurred. Um, I, uh, I've been blessed, very fortunate that the things that we focus on in business never changed. Um, you know, and, um, um, and and I, I don't want to say that we're used to this because obviously this has been a, a huge change in the world, but we're used to obstacles and, there, and you know, there's a process for handling obstacles. And when you have a process in business, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what kind of company, no matter what size you are, when you have a process for handling obstacles, I think it at least gives you a comfort level to well, to be able to handle them and not be completely shocked. The great majority of businesses that died were the ones who were in shock initially. You know, I have friends that we were talking before we started recording that, you know, the restaurant industry and some of the other industries got hit really, really bad and hard. But I have friends in those industries also who are doing very well because they didn't go into shock and they focus on the right things. So um, anyway, things are going well. Thank you. And so could you give me just a brief overview uh, of the different businesses, of the different types of investments that you make and really what are the main drivers there? For your growth? So I have 11 companies inside of our portfolio, uh, four of which are eight-figure companies, one of which is a venture capital firm. Um, the companies range from um, branding to online sales in the health industry to the venture capital to um, a media firm to real estate holdings. You know, there's, there's a variety of different things inside of my portfolio. And um, I think there's a lot of drivers to growth, but if I were to nail it down to one thing, the driver to growth is people. So understanding that what you're looking for always is the right people. And the right people could be defined as partners in your company, uh, vendors, employees, right? The right people. And then managing those people so that there's always a win-win no matter what it is. And it's a win-win in a big way. So we have to understand exactly what each party wants in their life 
and then create a business or a relationship around helping everybody achieve what they want. I'm a, I am a huge believer that my companies are, are like, I, I'm fascinated with building companies. That's my core competency. That's if I have a stupid human trick, that's it. I understand how to go in there and scale companies, which is a big thing to say. I understand. And we could get more detailed on it, but, but building companies is not my end goal. My end goal is having a great life with my kids, with my family, uh, setting up things for retirements. The, you know, that's, so my companies are built to fill my buckets for my life. And it's the exact same thing with every person that we encounter. I want to know what their buckets are. What are the things that you want to achieve so that we can build our relationship, whether it's as an employee, a vendor, or a partner in a business, so that we're filling their buckets so that driving the company becomes a passion for them, right? So it's, it's people... It's being super clear up front with those people on the expectations, not just the expectations that I have for them in our relationship, but the expectations that they could that they have for me as a person and as and in the company as well, so that we are clear and everybody understands exactly where we are on the path, so that everybody's a hundred a thousand percent, not even a hundred percent, but a thousand percent committed to reaching the exact same goals because we're aligning them properly. And then understanding, I guess, what it takes to keep those people happy keeping them happy. It's people. I want to dig in on that. How do you know when you've got the right person? Yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a hit or miss, but I think that as you mature in business, you understand when somebody is sitting in front of you and they are truly, you know, emotionally intelligent. They are driven to reach goals in their own life. Like they want to be successful and successful doesn't mean money all the time. It means they have, they have goals that they want to be successful at. And now if we were to take that all the way back to how do I find the right employees? Because, you know, we were talking about partners and, 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 and vendors and everything, but employees, we have a, we have a system for finding employees in each one of our companies. And, and again, I'm in a lot of different industries, you know, everything from, uh, health to legal to branding to a lot of stuff. But finding the right team members, the process we use is exactly the same. And it is, in essence, m- making them jump through a lot of different hoops prior to even being interviewed by us so that the actions they take, like we may place an ad that says, hey, please fax your resume to this fax number. And, and what we're looking for is somebody who could think outside the box and actually figure out how to take a picture of something and fax it in instead of sending us an email saying, hey, ha- I'm, like, why would I have to fa- I mean, I don't know how to fax. I don't have a fax machine. Like, I want to know that somebody could think outside the box. And, uh, and then having somebody maybe make, a, you know, call in instead of send an email or just send the resume and maybe call into a phone number, which has a pre-recorded voicemail that explains to them the whole pro- the whole company and our vision and our culture so that they could sit and listen to a three to five minute spiel on us and then take the action that we want because most people will never take an action. Most people just want to send a resume in and that's the end and then keep their fingers crossed. But when we get people to actually take certain actions, then we are those actions are pre-qualifying them and they're showing us, hey, this person can not only follow a direction in a, in a, in a job ad, but then they could go to a voicemail and they could follow a direction there because the great majority of some of our meetings will be on the phone or via video like this. And if they can't follow directions 
on a voicemail, then they certainly can't follow direction when you're talking to them on the phone. So we're, we do things. We have systems that pre-qualify people from the beginning to bring in, hopefully, the right people. And I know that works well for hiring. Do you do the same sort of thing with other partners and vendors? No, no, everything is different. You know, that's good for hiring because that's when you don't know anybody. So uh, the rule of thumb that we live by when it comes to everybody else is we don't judge people by what they think or they say only by what they do. And, and I hold myself accountable to that as well. I, if, 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 I, if I want to get on a workout program and change my health, but, and I think, I know I'm going to do it this time. I know it. I know it. I got in my head that I'm going to do this and I say I'm going to do it and I make a commitment to doing it, but I haven't done it. Like I have said it five times over the last five years and I never did it. Then I'm not going to freaking do it. And I need to attack it from a different angle. And it's the exact same thing with every employee, like long-term employee, every C-level person, every vendor, every, every partner that we have. We don't judge them by what they think or they say, only what their recent track record is. And then we help to frame things properly so that even if they haven't had a track record of success, we help them to frame it in a way that, that does fit into their core competency so they do become successful. You just brought up a new word and I want to dig in on it because I think I know where you got it from, core competency. I, I don't know where I got that from. I've been saying it for two decades. <laughs> so doing, is that the measure of how you identify somebody's core competency? Because obviously, if you can't rely on, they might say that this is their best thing, but in reality, it could be the thing right next to it. So is doing how we, in essence, measure their, 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 their ability to succeed? I, I, I use the term actions. So I guess it's the same. Like we, we, I believe that most companies get stagnant or most companies plateau because they measure the wrong things. They measure numbers. Most of the time we measure actions. So I'm a big believer in making sure that the actions that we define as what will dictate success for each person and also for our company and also for me are all in alignment so that everybody's taking the right actions to push the company forward so that we reach the same goal. So I track actions more than anything else. Yeah, so your job is making sure that there's a clear understanding where everyone is going and then making sure they can do the actions needed to get there. So we could sum up what you just said in one word and it's absolutely perfect, clarity. So I think my job is helping everybody become clear. And everybody's more comfortable. Like no matter who's on your team, the biggest challenge, the reason why people get stuck, the biggest obstacle in almost everybody's life is lack of clarity. So whether it's clarity as to who they report to, to ask questions, like when they have questions, don't come all the way to me. I'm, I'm probably not the right one to answer your specific technical question, but there is a supervisor or there's a mentor. Every, every employee and every team member that we have has mentors inside of our companies. Like go to your mentor. Like clarity on that, clarity on the numbers you should be hitting, clarity on the actions you should be taking to reach those numbers, clarity on who's on your particular team for each project, clarity on who our competitors are so that the more clear we are on our competitors and how they are bigger and better than us, then the easier it is for us to then gain market share and take some of that away and grow. What part of your growth as sort of an entrepreneur given, you know, you had this great, you know, you built you built the first business, you sold out, 
you then started investing and, and now building this portfolio. When did you start putting in this type of, you know, the mentor platform, you know, this, clar- this drive towards clarity? Oh, great question. Wow. It definitely wasn't there in the first decade of my freaking business life because I wasn't, I wasn't clear. Yeah. And because, <laughs> and, and, and holy, the, that lack of clarity was very evident in our numbers. And, and I mean, numbers that went up and then down, sometimes lower than they started, and then up and then down. And, and it was a, this roller coaster that uh, still, when I think about it, makes my eye twitch. Um, but it was easily not the first decade. So here's exactly where it was. I think it was when my first company that I sold was a chain of health clubs. And, and I tried to sell it for a year when I was completely burned out and I really wanted to get to the next level in business. I knew that wasn't the company for me. So I wanted to sell it and I hired a, um, a broker to go out there and find me potential people to purchase it. Uh, and even the best deal that he came up with was less than it would have brought in less revenue, less money for the sale than I had in debt. So I would have walked away owing money, which sucked. But I spent about a year or so meeting with bankers and lenders and taking them out to lunch and and talking to them on the phone and taking, making a checklist. And my question to them was, what would make this a wet dream for you that you would fund almost anybody to purchase my company for the number that I wanted. And I I created this checklist of similar things that everybody was saying. And that's when I started to get clear. I think, I guess the best answer to your question is that's when I became very anal on clarity and everything. No, yeah, and I'm a journeyman entrepreneur and I've had three low to mid seven figure exits, but that clarity, that to me, I think that's definitely in what was interesting is you took the clarity to a much deeper level than I think I've heard from a lot of people in that middle ground, that seven figure realm in driving it down to not just the employees of the company, but the mentors and all that. You know, was that sort of also an evolution? Like you started with like, okay, here's what everyone's telling me I need. Let's put a little of this and this, or did you find a system yeah, it's definitely an evolution. And, and and I think my journey, probably very much like yours, probably just like most entrepreneurs, doesn't come from books. It doesn't come from seminars. It doesn't come from most of the bullshit, excuse my language, that's out there. It comes from listening to people who have experience, right? It's It comes from comes from being aligned with somebody who could, who could collapse timeframes for you and make it so that what you want to achieve in a decade, you could achieve in, you know, in a year or less because- because you not only have the experience of somebody who's done it over and over and over again, like you don't want to, you don't want to talk to somebody who's done it once because that was potentially lucky. But if they've been able to duplicate it over and over again, that's the person I want to speak to. And you want to learn from their actions more than you want to learn from their words. So look at what they did as opposed to what they say you should do. Because most people like you and I who are entrepreneurs are not always great teachers to other people, but we are wonderful freaking doers. Like when shit hits the fan, something weird goes on in our head and we are able to get maniacally focused. <laughs> it turns on. Yeah. Things are going well. Yeah, you know, I was the joke has always been, you know, when things are going well, it's bright, shiny object for me. 
<laughs> that's, that sucks. Yeah, yes, it's true. I'm still there, and that's probably why I'm still a journeyman. Um, but yeah, when the shit hits the fan, all of a sudden everything drops away. It's just like done, done, done. Yeah, clarity. Yeah, you become like tunnel focused, I guess, when that shit happens because all the chatter that that makes its way in when we're more relaxed you know, doesn't fit into our, our channel. We just say, okay, here, here's point A, there's point B that I have to get to. What's the shortest, easiest way that we could do it with the least amount of risk? Right, cool. No, and I like that it came through, you know, a series of situations for you because I think I've seen that in myself where it's like, okay, I fucked up big time here. If I'm going to do this again, what do I take from it? And then rinse and repeat. Yeah, that is very cool. And I... Definitely the collapsing timeframes, because that is something I know I struggle with as an entrepreneur. It's trying to find that balance of like people who have the framework for you, but it doesn't really fit your environment versus people who've done the work and can kind of walk you into that process. How do you kind of explore that? So for my companies, it's never a person, it's a group of people. So we have, uh, so I'm a big believer, like I have a board of directors overall, but I'm a big believer in having a board of advisors for each entity. And I believe that if if somebody were to say, hey, gun to your head, give me one, one thing that has made the biggest difference in any of your companies, you know, to go from zero to seven to eight plus figures, mid eights where most companies stall in the six-figure range in the same amount of time, what is the number one biggest secret? It would be board of advisors. It would be choosing the right people for your board of advisors. It would be onboarding them properly so that they come prepared to help the company grow. And it would be managing them properly, having the right kind of meetings so that you can get massive insight, right? If you put the right people together, then you're not going to have an obstacle come up. Call it COVID, call it anything that is that you're not going to be able to sit there all hands on deck all minds on board and come up with some contingency plan that is going to get you through profitably from point a to point b now given that you're now building this empire in your portfolio here what is something you're seeing now that you're really excited about, or do you think you're going to be utilizing a lot more in your business moving forward? Well, first, I, I think you, you give me way too much credit by calling it a friggin' empire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I hear empire, I think warlords and, uh, and really big shit. Um, yeah, I am super excited about something I'm seeing for other companies that we have been doing since day one, but uh, I haven't seen that many smaller companies embrace this idea. Um, and it is this, um, this marriage of online and offline tactics, online and offline marketing, whether, you know, it's not just marketing, but it's offline tactics. And, uh, and I, I, it's such a big benefit to the companies who actually understand how to, how to wake up and live this lifestyle instead of just looking to say, hey, we're going to reinvest in more pay-per-click or we're going to go from Google to Facebook to, to you know, from just Google search to Google native. And then we're going to, oh my God, what is this thing called retargeting? We're going to do retargeting. And, you know, uh, it is saying, hey, 
we could use all the information that we have learned from our Google ads, let's just say, to get the most clicks and then improve upon the subject lines of our emails and then improve the copy inside of our email to improve a click through. And then let's take that to the next level and say, once we understand that, we could go and create a very short local radio ad or a local TV ad, because now we know the few key words that are going to get the most people to take a freaking action. And the, the short copy that if we repeat it over and over again during a short uh, uh, radio ad, the people are actually going to take an action. Now, most of our offline marketing brings in significantly less day zero value, right? So that's why that's what prevents the majority of small businesses from saying, this is for me, because I want to be able to on day zero break even, which is, um, which is understandable. I get it. I strive for that also. But we run, we run multiple things. We run the, the day zero profitable ads. And we also run the day 30, 60, 90 highly profitable ads. Because although our, our offline marketing brings in less money on day zero, our offline marketing brings in much, much more retention and loyalty and lifetime value. So much more. Because those people that are coming in from radio are not getting you know hit with this barrage confusing thousand freaking ads that they, that are that people on our email list or that are coming from cold traffic do but but it's also going to the next level it's not just saying hey let's log in with just marketing it's other offline tactics which are freaking staggeringly huge when it comes to generating revenue and it's having your call center, your, 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 your customer service people who understand the most about your product or your service. Outreach, like actually, actually get on the phone and call your customers instead of emailing them. Or when, like, how many companies do you know that have an autoresponder set up that says, oh, if somebody's credit card declines, send autoresponder number one to people. And how many people actually reply to that and update their credit card? Almost none. But most companies say, oh, we got that covered. No, freaking outreach with a live person. Remind that past customer why they bought your product or your service in the first place. Get them, get their hot button, remind them of it so that it's forefront of their mind and then ask them to reactivate their, their credit card. And when you do that, 30% of our people will bump up. They'll not just give you the new credit card, but they'll also maybe purchase something else from you. It's freaking absurd. Yeah, that's anyway, all. I could keep going. Sorry. Yeah, no, no. This is what the fun is because it's like using this technology, the underlying database, the underlying knowledge of your customer is just growing. Our technology to understand the customer, your ability to then tie in various tactics into that information is increasing. And then just the execution across it is where, yeah, what it sounds like you guys really are doing well because you're using a term that one it's it is getting more but day zero is something that usually only a little more sophisticated you know it's like that step up from last click conversation <laughs> it's like a day you know someone talking about day zero marketer is someone who who's really diving into it i always love those things where you're like okay you're talking about something but you drop a term that you know all right someone has gone through it and probably has lost sleep on how to best you you best deal with that concept I look that tired. No, I, I do most of the time. No, I meant, I, I always say my way of learning as an entrepreneur has been the lack of the amount of times I've lost sleep. Yeah. yeah wow. That's it's true. 
you know, that's when I know it's like, yes, sucks there. But usually six months or a year later, I'm like, oh, yeah, that, <laughs> that period. <laughs> On that note, Chris, what's keeping you up? What's keeping me up? I guess the great majority of things that keep me up these days are personal, right? It's, it's things that I want for my children and for those around me more than it is inside of my companies. I'm very fortunate that, you know, when you, when you understand a little bit about growing a business instead of, instead of um, searching for money, then things become, it becomes more of a game. It becomes more of, Oh, I I'm starting this company. I need these pieces of puzzle of the puzzle in place. And now I have a system for getting these pieces of the puzzle in place. And when you look, when I, when I have a company come to us for funding or, or into, into our advisory program, we look at their pieces of the puzzle and it's not that simple. It's not as simple as I'm making it, but we look at it and we say, oh, well, this is broke. That's broke. You don't have a system for bringing this in. As you grow past the 1 million, then those systems that you've got there need to be upgraded because those same systems won't get you to 10, 25, 50, or 100 million, right? Those systems that you had at $30 million when you sold that company are not going to work to build your, you know, the first million dollars in your new company, right? So there is this concept that we have to be incredibly flexible with. So I don't stay awake, I don't think, as much with business stuff as I do with wanting more for my kids and my family. How many kids do you have? Two. How old are they? Teenagers, ah. 18 and 17. So, so uh-huh. yeah. So my, as my eyes twitching, I'm not winking at you. Yeah. It's teenage years. <laughs> I, have six, I have three, 16, a 16 year old boy, 14 year old girl and a, and a 10 year old girl. So yeah, that I get that completely. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, so excited. And so like, Oh fuck. <laughs> Agreed. So yeah. the big question I like to ask, every entrepreneur with kids because I've got none yet. Do you want your kids to be entrepreneurs? No, I want my kids to be happy. And by the way, that's a great question. I put a lot, a lot of time and thought into that. I want them to be happy. And I, and I don't know what that means. I mean, it changes often with, with kids, but um, I don't care what their current version of happiness is. I want them to have it. And I will, I will, um, uh, help them in any way, which doesn't mean that I'm going to make it easy for them because I think that's the worst way to help pe- help kids. But I will give them whatever I can give them to help them to achieve those things themselves that make them happy. Because I, I believe that when they achieve something, it's tremendous. Like uh, my son had his first job this past uh, summer. It was an amazing job, amazingly hard manual labor job. And, uh, but up to that point when he needed something, I gave it to him. Like he needed a little bit of money for blank. He got it. He needed sneakers. I got it. You know, I mean, all the stuff that you do as a parent, but when he started earning his own money and he bought his own stuff, my God, the look on his face was tremendous. So that that was happiness for him at the time, at the time. So anyway, that's what I want. Is there any philosopher or coach or book that really informed your thoughts around happiness? I don't think so. You know, I'm I'm not a, I read a tremendous amount, but I believe that the great majority of books, unless you really go back far 
to the old, old books. The great majority of the books are selling you something. The great majority of the books are written by people who are researchers. They're not written by doers. Uh, like business books, I, I, I flip through business books. But even the guys I know who are titans in business, great, smart women and men who write books, what goes into the book is not what, it's like one little golden nugget and a bunch of stories and fluff that just confuse you. So I don't believe that I could associate my definition of happiness with anything other than what's made me not happy and the desire to avoid that for those around me, like to, to help them understand quickly what isn't going to, what makes them happy and what isn't going to work to make them happy. And then kind of nudge them without telling them down the right path. That's interesting because I just was thinking over the weekend as I was doing something with my boy and I was thinking of a period of time where things just did not go right for me. And I was like, I'm giving you such a hard time because I don't want you to fall into that, you know, that situation, have that type of thing. You talk about their happiness as, you know, something that they almost, that you will help them earn kind of seemed, you know, the way of putting it. Do you have a formal framework for like, what that's going to look like over the life, or is it just more of your active engagement now? Holy crap, I wish I did. Wow, I wish I had a formal framework. I've written stuff down. I've, you know, I believe that the more structured we are as entrepreneurs, I mean, our brains work in a fucked up way. You know, our brains work very, mine is very visual. I can map stuff out on a whiteboard. And everybody on my team knows exactly what they need to do in order for us to get to a certain level. Using that same philosophy, staying in that same zone that you and I thrive in with a teenager absolutely doesn't work. It's the, I'm sorry, in my experience with my children, it has the opposite effect. It's Disney like girls and video games. That's about the three things I can engage in that way. <laughs> That's yeah, different. <laughs> I've got the, the girls part down with my son. Um, that's it. Like he doesn't do video games anymore. He's just freaking. Well, your son, well, you said your son is uh, what? 16. How old? 14? 16. 16. So one year. So yes, a year yeah. ago, still video games. Now, now no video games. Yeah. Now social media and girls. It's tough. You know what? There's, you will never understand their point of view. Not because you don't, because it, doesn't work in their head that you could ever understand this. So it's difficult, but it's, it's also fascinating and fun. And I really love the journey. It's just a journey that I am constantly learning on. It's not like, like I come into business and I'm like, I'm here. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm with my kids and I am extremely excited at all times, but I'm also always on the edge of my chair because I, I, I want to, cause I'm learning every minute that I'm with them. Do you look at the co concepts of like family office, family, you know, that type of long-term planning? Because this is, you know, are you looking at any of those types of structures? I am. So I have a, I have a couple of really great financial advisors who help with things that I don't understand. Uh, and then we have meetings once a month and they run things by me. And to be quite honest, I say yes to a lot of stuff because it's not my core competency. Um, what is my core competency is where I keep the majority of my 
my money for my future, for my kids' future, for my grandkids' future, for everything. Um, I'm not that I have grandkids, but I mean, in the future, <laughs> knock on wood. Holy crap. Knock on wood. Anyway, I, you know, I understand business. Like I think that the, the best thing that you could ever do for your money is to keep it where you understand it. If you really understand residential real estate, freaking put all your money there. It's the best place for it. If you really understand commercial real estate, it is the best place for your money. I understand business. It's the best place for my money, whether it is growing smaller, you know, other companies inside of my portfolio or bringing in money as an advisor. I do that one day a week or it's investing small amounts of money as an angel or large amounts in the VC firm. It's just, it's gives me the ability to put money where I could sleep at night because I literally, I know that shit. Like I understand what a company needs to grow. I don't understand what it takes to some grow a freaking real estate portfolio. Wish I did, but I don't. Well, actually you guys were right before the, right before we started the podcast, you were talking about, you know, how you take profit from your various buckets and reinvest it in. Would you kind of walk us through how you make the choice of what goes into where? Yeah, uh, gladly. I don't know if there's a if there's a great how. I'll give you I'll give you the overall synopsis. Yeah, how you do it? That, yeah, I, I believe that. Um, um, and 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 I'm and I'm, I'm gonna stutter over my words because I don't want to give legal or accounting advice. Yeah, Obviously, no, 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 nobody here understands. Your, this is just yes. my experience yeah. for me. Yes. However, my experience for me in the state that I live in and, uh, and where we do business is that, um, let's say you have a million dollars on your bottom line and it comes the end of the year, you're going to pay taxes on a million dollars, right? If you're an LLC or you're taxed, you know, in that fashion, then it's going to flow through to you and you're going to pay a million dollars or taxes on a million dollars personally. If you were, however, to take that million dollars and invest in a company, you know, there's a tax benefit to that, at least temporarily. Outside of that, if you understand business, like I, like that is my thing, um, I can take that million dollars and put it someplace that maybe helps me defer some taxes, but also gives me the ability to do what I know what to do. And I could take that million dollars and maybe turn it into two, three, 10 million over the next 12, 24 months, as opposed to putting it into Bitcoin, which might be freaking awesome. I don't know, never invested in it or other stocks or mutual funds or whatever. I've got buddies who are, who are technical traders who make so much more money than that on a million dollars. But I don't understand it. And, and it seems like if I invest in a stock, it's guaranteed that that stock's going to go down. So it's weird. <laughs> uh, but it's True keeping advice. it in, your, in, in your, what you're really good at. It's keeping your money there. And I believe that's the smartest thing you could do for your future, you know, for, for your family, your kids, your grandkids, whatever you're going to do. How do you mix? Because you were talking and you've referenced you do acquisitions, you do VC, you know, you do reinvestment in your businesses. How do you balance that out? Are you looking at like a formal IRR? Do you just look for what's going to bring you the most emph? Yeah. So everything that we do is basically based on a process org chart, right? An organizational chart, which is very detailed so that every box 
on my org chart has the f- three, five, eight bullet points in there of those actions, to go back to the word that we were talking about before, the best actions, which are the most important uses of this person's time to get the company to the next level. And we don't build that process org chart for today. And we don't build it for 10 years down the road for our wish list. We build it for 10 to 12 months down the road. So I know what box needs to be there or, or, or optimized for us to go to the next step up, right? To the next level. And then we work towards that. So that gives me a much clearer visual of that kind of stuff. Now, if I look at that org chart and I say, well, in order for us to go from here to here, and by the way, every year we have an annual meeting uh, with our entire team, every single person who has uh, their hands in uh, our ability to reach our, our goal, we have a big annual meeting, which usually lasts for two days, and we, uh, we go through all the actions necessary for us to get to the next level. So that brings a lot of clarity to us, which helps us to, more, to better define our process org chart. And when we do that, there's a possibility that we may look at that org chart and we may say, hey, in order to get from here to here, we need fastest path, fastest path may be we need to acquire another company. Or, and by the way, we may need to acquire a company, not for the company, Maybe we need to acquire it for the team or for the systems or for the assets they have or for their customer database or for their prospect database or maybe for their, their dead list, even for the list, you know, for the, for the can spam list that never fucking email again. But we could pull that over and we could maybe do a lookalike on it or something that is honest, ethical, moral, legal and totally compliant. Right. So whatever the case is, we become very clear during our annual meetings and then we use tools like acquisitions specifically for whatever asset that we need in order to improve that process org chart. Does that make sense? Believe me, it does. Especially when I talk a lot with other entrepreneurs who are, you know, are varying levels of, it's not like the small little things, even though you can all groan because everyone's had X fall apart or Y, but it's like, oh shit, you're doing, it's the bigger thing where then all of a sudden their little branches start filling out and they try and map their realm to your bomb, you know, as you called it, your bomb, you know, because that's what I was doing. And I think a lot of our listeners would be doing the same thing. It's like, oh shit, yes, okay. Now, if that's how he, and he gets it to that annual and he's putting, okay. Because I know for myself, I do very well, uh, you know, since selling my last company, I do well as a fractional CMO and an advisor, um, a little, probably not, I have some formal you know, like V, you know, VC backed companies where I'm an advisor with advisor credit, but a lot more of like VC or private equity firms are like, can you kick the tires on their, <laughs> their marketing for us? I'm like, do you want it to be good or bad? Do you want me? Yeah. But yeah, that type of fun. But I am getting into acquisition entrepreneurship and you know, bought the podcast to kind of start building an audience and talk to more people like you to be able to get that, like what is interesting out there. But yeah, building that ongoing flywheel of like self-funding your own growth, being able to take that next level because building a business, you feel it's like this big, huge thing, or at least for me. And then it was, okay, I did this and I'm making money and it's really, really choppy, but I do want to go much further. And you talked about your first step, your first business, you eventually got to get out of it with money and everything. And it took, you had to re-change things and you know, not take that loss on the sale. But 
taking it to the next level to use for your next steps. Do you feel like you're there as the entrepreneur? You've been able to create that because you said now you're more focused on quality of life and that, or are you still building? Oh yeah. I'm always, I'm always building. Like building is what I, what makes me happy. So uh, I will always be building. I'll always be building. I'll always be learning, but I'll be learning from our numbers and our actions and our team. I will be reading and I'll be doing fun stuff like that. I talk at some conferences here and there, and then I have good friends who talk there and we brainstorm afterwards. But, but I learn from our numbers. I learn from the actions that we're taking and, 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 and what is the results of those actions and our team members. That's the big thing. Um, and I'll say one, one quick thing. I don't mean to backtrack, but on the process or chart, I, I, I fear sometimes when I start mentioning tools like that, that a lot of people who are in the six or seven figure range say, yeah, not for me yet. You're talking, you're talking about, you know, a little bit layered down the road. It's cool, but it's not for me. It's absolutely, if you're just starting out, it's for, for you. If you are in business for the first year, it's fucking for you. Holy shit. Um, your name may be in every one of those boxes, right? So you create your org chart and then you create the actions necessary in each one of those. The marketing box might be there. The customer service box might be there. Put the actions in there. That's the most important part. And then after it's all done, you put names in there. And the names could be a vendor, could be an independent contractor, could be an employee, could be you. And you will be in a lot of them. It's still in my companies. I'm in multiple boxes. Like that doesn't, just because you've grown to a certain level doesn't mean that you don't do multiple things inside your, your business. No, I, I, I agree. I do like that. And I think, I think because most people think of the org chart as the people and the organizer, it's like, no, it's It's the actions, the, who's taking, who's responsible for these actions and how does that change given various conditions you expect or, you know, either fear, hope, and kind of expect in the middle over time. Right. And the right people, the right people for those boxes are not always the people who are best. Like they're not always the ones who are the most efficient at those actions. That's best case scenario. That's what we, you know, magic wand, we wave it and we have our dream freaking business. It's the people who take ownership of those actions that I want in there. Like when I get somebody who will take ownership of the actions in that box, ownership meaning when you don't know how to fucking do it, you find out how to do it. You don't come to me because if you're coming to me, you're wasting my time and you're stopping me from doing what are the actions in my box, right? So you, you take ownership and then you become autonomous. Any single time there is a new goal that we have, a new target that we have to reach that part of it falls inside of your box. If you're not doing what's good in there, if you're not doing what's needed inside of here, and that may mean working overtime. It might mean, mean studying more than normal. It might be getting another mentor inside the organization, whatever it means. If you're the weak link, then it's slowing everybody else down. So taking ownership is taking pride in making sure that what needs to be done here is being done and you love it. You are juiced by it. That's the right person. It's not always the right person. It's not always the person who's the best because the person who's the best is often cocky. And then they start doing 20 other things that are not in their box that then mess everybody else up. Given that you have this whole portfolio, do you focus on building teams that kind of cross over or is each organization unique? You know, I focus on teams that could be synergistic and brainstorm together, but don't cross over from a compliance standpoint. 
So each company has its own infrastructure. They talk and they share, but they don't, you know, you don't have a controller across four organizations. Right. Absolutely. So here, so we may have a customer support team in two companies or more, different, completely different people. However, at the end of the day or at the end of a week, they still are going to have a customer service meeting and then share the biggest obstacles that they overcame, the solutions, the whatever it is, and they support each other, but then they go back to their own, their own Yeah, Sort of like you're seeing with a lot of the VC shop, you know, they're having their their portfolio companies share, you know, different teams and everything, but share insight and share learnings. That's smart. Well, it's also a huge benefit for somebody wanting to come onto a team because the performance of anybody inside of your team is going to be limited by their ability to feel like a team. Like as soon as they feel more cohesion, uh, more support, in helping them become the best that they can be, then the the more passionate they they become. That, and I bet you it makes it easier when you have something newer or a role that's a little bit new within one of the companies to be able to talk to other people, even if they're dealing with different environments, to be able to talk to, well, hey, in these companies, we generally, we've been doing this. Oh, so if that's what you're doing, okay, now when I go talk to everyone in my company, I could probably have yeah the insights of the other team ah yeah very much speeds up do you assign mentors across companies then yeah every 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 team member that we have every uh, employee has a mentor and sometimes those mentors are not inside of the same company but it's still still inside of the same portfolio it's not a paid mentor so we don't have a problem with a compliance crossover Right? It's not like we're intermingling funds or anything like that. Nobody's hiring somebody else. It is simply when I have a question, I could call Mary and Mary happens to be working at another company. Okay, cool. Awesome. Now, within the roles on an org chart or on the org chart, because you do one of these each year, right? Well, we update for each company each year. Yeah, absolutely. When you're listing those actions underneath, Let's say it's a brand new company or one that you're just acquiring that's never done this before. How do you go about mapping all of those? So that's a really good question. Uh, This is something that, um, like if somebody comes into our advisory program, this is one of the first things that I like to do. Not that we do exact exercises for every company. Uh, It's not cut and paste like that, but because that kills culture and it kills companies. But if they don't have anything like that, I believe that brings crystal clear vision for the owner, for everybody on the team, and also for me as an advisor. And it starts with the owner because that's the person who's supposed to know everything. But they're never the right person to put all the right actions inside the boxes. So when we're doing that, and even if it's even if I'm uh, you know investing in a company, it's never as a startup because if I'm starting up a new company, I'm the one building it. But it's for an existing team. Then what happens is we have meetings with everybody and then they define what they believe their core actions are. Now we go into the meeting. I may be meeting with Mary. Mary may be our CTO. And I may know what actions I might need inside of that box, but I want Mary in that meeting to define for me what she believes her core, like the most, quote unquote, the most important use of her time is 
right? I, there's plaques throughout my, our offices. What's the most important use of my time right now? Because I always want that on the top of my head and on the top of everybody else's head. But I want Mary to explain that to me. Because if Mary explains that to me, then I could, I could pinpoint the best of what I had in my vision for that box and the best of what she had and then build it and say, that's right. And then later on, we will have another meeting with Mary and everybody else and say, this is what we did. We looked at what I needed, what I thought I needed, and then you guys brought me to the next level. And now we're going to define the exact, the exact actions that I need done this year, which may not be everything that you said you do. So big relief. You don't have to do 50% of the things that you were doing. You may love them and that's important and we will get to them. But most important use of your time are these five or eight things. I like that. And then let them go figure out how to get those, get those done. Um, yeah. So we empower people to figure that out, but, but I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, nobody's left in the dark. Nobody's left to say, go just make this freaking work. And we have, we have a lot of meetings and I did this, I did this podcast one time on my, on, on my, I think it was YouTube or something like that. And it was our, um, your meetings are killing your, your culture. And, um, and it was the, the wrong, like, like so many gurus out there say, never have meetings. They, you know, meetings will slow you down. I don't want to waste my time in meetings, blah, blah, freaking blah. However, I also have had dinner and had, and had really powerful masterminds with these guys one-on-one, these gurus who say never do it. And, they, and then, then they explain to me the meetings that they have. And they may call them a daily huddle or they may call something else, but they're having meetings like almost every single day. Meetings run companies. Like my meet, if an ineffective meeting is in a complete waste of time. But for you and the people there, it's, it sucks. It diffuses everybody. But a structured, like a really good structured meeting makes everything work for me, right? It gives me the ability to run multiple entities when most people have troubles running one. And it's because every single day I have meetings with each one of my, my leadership teams and we talk about three main things and, we, and that moves the ball forward, right? It's important. So we have annual meetings, which are the big meetings. And then we have quarterly meetings and we have monthly meetings and we have weekly meetings where there's a presentation. And then we have daily short meetings. Those daily short meetings give me the ability to keep my finger on the pulse of what needs to be done and make sure that everybody on the team understands the best, the top actions, the most important use of their time today to get us to the next level. Yeah, this is huge for me uh, because I can't count the number of projects and partnerships I've seen stall based on the fact that they don't have meetings in place. And the meeting is what sets the pace for the whole thing. It is. A good meeting. A bad meeting stupid. Like, why waste anybody's time with a bad meeting? How do we do good meetings that don't kill that culture? So, so like I said before, we talk about three things in every, in every one of our daily meetings, and I think it's super important. I think there's other things that are important also. You got to show up on time. People have to show up prepared, blah, 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 all the real stuff. But the three things that we always go over is what have you accomplished so far? So today's Monday. So it's today's meeting was what have you accomplished so far today? Tomorrow it'll be what have you accomplished so far this week so far, right? Monday and Tuesday. What are you working on? What a top, and we run our companies with top five reports which is the top five most important uses of my time. So, and I'll go over the third one in a second, but I, I want to cover this one more. Our annual meeting, our annual meeting, everybody's there, like I said before, and we go over 
The main number, the revenue goal, we do a high and a low. We don't just do one number, high and a low goal. That's what we're going to hit. And then we list each one of our products or services inside of that company, how much revenue they hit last year, and then what our goal is for each one of these products or services. And as long as we meet or exceed the goal for each one of these products or services, we will meet or exceed the big number at the top of the chart, right? Now we vomit up every single action that needs to take place for us to meet or exceed the numbers for the very first product or service. And we do that for every single one. That's why these meetings are two days long. It's extremely exhaustive and everybody on the team is there. And then once we have all those actions written out over there, we take those actions and one person takes ownership of each action. We drag an action from that big whiteboard over to something called a project sheet, which everybody's got a column. So my column may have 20 things that I need to accomplish that year in order for us to move to the next level. But every single action, somebody takes ownership of. And then every day during the course of that year, you as an employee of your company is responsible for finding the top five most important things from your project sheet, pulling them over. And that's what we go over that day in that meeting. Those are the top five. So everybody's kind of got to be in alignment so that their top fives are, are synergistic with everybody else's top fives to get to the next level, right? And it works. So that's the second thing we go over. And then the last thing I think is the most important. And that's the, uh, what obstacle do you have? Because one person stuck and not able to accomplish their five that day is what stops everybody from moving forward. It's what stops us from reaching our big targets, right? The cumulative effect of an obstacle slowing you down for two or three days or more sucks beyond belief. And it, it stunts growth in every company. So we want to cover, like, I promise you, we have a, if I have a meeting, uh, one of our leadership team meetings today had six people in it. And, uh, and there was one obstacle, like one obstacle that this one woman was facing. I, with, within a couple of minutes, we were able to brainstorm on it. One person said, let's take this offline. I already have a solution. I have a contact, blah, 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 blah. It was done. Within a few minutes after the call, they had gotten together. And that person made a phone call to a friend of his and it took the obstacle off of her plate entirely. Everybody moved ahead slowly. If she didn't have that forum to come and talk about that obstacle, she would have tried and tried and tried and it would have taken time away from all the other things she had to do and it would have stopped everything else for the rest of the company. Nice. Now, each of these companies you're doing these annual pieces for, do you also do it for the overall portfolio? Do you have like one event with your senior people, you know, in all the pieces? No, I, I don't. That's a good, that's an interesting idea. I don't, I have meetings with my board of directors and we talk about what has been working, you know, cause the board is for me, you know, that was put together when I was selling my very first company. The reason why it was put together was because my core competency was not in how to manage money as it came in, that was that was a the, what is the exact opposite of a core competency? <laughs> it was a brain fart yeah. for me, and I needed people so that when money came in, I was able to allocate it properly, and it would be able to be an asset to me instead of literally just disappear. So uh, those people I speak to, uh, and uh, on a regular basis, and uh, throughout the year, I understand where what we need to do, where we need to be as a portfolio. Um, but I don't have one of those annual meetings with okay. them. 
So how, how do you plan these annual, you know, and these, all these meetings between the different com- companies for yourself, since you're going to be a focal point across them? Um, I don't know that there's a structure for that. I don't need there to be company A, company B, company C in a specific order. I literally love every one of my companies and all my team members. So when I show up, that is my sandbox that I play in. I love being there. So we have the process that we follow is the same for every company. Everybody gets uh, material prior to the meeting so that they know how to come exactly prepared with everything. Everybody has prep work. Everybody talks before they show up. So when people show up, I really only have two jobs in those meetings, right? I put the big number on the board, right? That's my big, that's my big thing. I put it there and that's not, it's not, and it's not as easy as just saying, we're going to hit 50 million this year. We're going to hit $76 million this year. I, I put, I put a lot of time and effort into figuring out the number. And again, it's a high and a low number that we put up there and it's very strategically chosen. And I go up there and I put it, I put a reason behind it. And then, and you know, and then I manage the meeting so that pe- the people there, the brains there are the ones who do everything else. I just keep them motivated and I cheer them on. When somebody goes up there, because somebody will, like our, our tech guy will go up there and after, and he'll say, okay, well, in order for these actions to take place, me or my department also has to do these actions. And he'll, they'll put up a lot more actions over there. And our customer support will go up and say, well, last time we did this kind of a project, we had so many more, you know, customer service calls come in and emails come in. We, we're going to need this, 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 and this to take place, right? So these are all the actions. And I will cheer them all on and I will thank them and I will uh, uh, question them to draw out as many other potential actions out of them so that when we're done, there's, it's literally, like I said before, it's like we vomited up on this freaking whiteboard. It is so cluttered, but organized in an organized way so that all the actions that need to take place for product A to reach its goal and B and C and D or whatever, so that we could meet or exceed our goal at the top. Yeah, I could easily see a facilitator working off a Trello, Michael loves ClickUp, ClickUp, whatever board. And you start with lots and lots of little pieces and little by little moving them over. Yeah, so someone's taking the board. Exactly. However, I am far more ancient than you, and I need to use an actual whiteboard. I think I may have a few more gray hairs on you, but yes, we're (laughs) we're in the same color in a better place, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's like, I think you and I both well know the sound of a (laughs) dial-up. Ah, that sucks. No, I... I am just barely old enough to remember that. <laughs> uh, so I I resent being put on the fully social media side of the millennial generation because they are a different breed. Yes. Well, if you understand the different when coupling the ball coupling versus plug in, then we'll can kind of talk. <laughs> Putting your phone on the on the audio coupler was the good old days. Um, we had touched on, you know, sort of this transition point where you realized you really need to create, you needed to create this drive towards clarity as something that happened, you know, after the first business and kind of moving, you know, moving out into the sale and then kind of going, are there any other big transition points? Cause you've used that a couple of times also in your journey to get to where you are now that you've had to you've had to change the way you were acting or the way you were thinking about doing things. 
some big, you know, ones that stand out to you? There's a, there's a ton. I don't even know where to start. So I guess, I guess one, it's not the number one, but the one that comes to my head the fastest is that, you know, there was a big transition point where I learned that I am not the best communicator in between myself and certain people. And I needed an assistant. And I think that is, and I just literally was in the studio Tuesday. So a week ago tomorrow, a week back tomorrow, um, shooting a program, which is all about how to locate a great personal uh, executive assistant. And so this is all top of mind for me. And I, and I, I, I went through a lot of assistance initially. And then I found one who's been with me now for over 17 years and is the reason why people continue to work for me, I think, because she's pleasant and I am blunt. Let me know when that course is ready. Yeah, right. <laughs> I will. But the but the in the in the end, um, I think that's that was a huge transition for me because I was, and I believe this is a if there's one thing that every single business person needs to learn, no matter what level they're at or what industry they're at or what the economy is or anything, I believe the one one of the main lessons is how to communicate properly, how to how to make sure that the person that you're speaking to feels heard. And that's a that's a that's an exercise. It's not just saying, "Yes, oh, I hear." Oh, yes, you know that's bullshit. But actually, understanding that they need to feel heard, and then using what they say combined with what you the action that you need them to take to marry this this thing that now makes them feel like part of the team. And I was not good at that in the beginning whatsoever. So I said. You need to do this, 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 and this, and go get it done, right? I, and I was upset when people didn't do this, 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 and this, but they didn't have any ownership of it. They didn't care. They didn't feel like part of a culture. There was no culture. Like the culture was Chris. There is no business that, go, that grows with the culture of Chris. The businesses that grow are the culture where Chris and Mary and Emily and Megan and everybody else is involved and it's, and it's built as a family. So... It's taken a, a long time for me to learn that and um, a lot of money, <laughs> lost money. But that's probably what has made one of the biggest differences in our companies. Now, you had mentioned you're building this course. Do you have courses that you come out? What, you know, where will this live? But everything that we've ever done, like if you ever follow me anywhere on social, everything is free. Like I, I literally say, here's, here's the best of what we're doing right now. You know, not what I read in a book, not what I heard on stage someplace, but this is what is actually happening inside of our companies right this second that is working. So I suggest you do this. And then I plot things out as simply as possible, as if I'm talking to somebody on my team. This particular course is our first one, and it's come from so many people asking me how the heck we found Emily, you know, because Emily's been with me for a while. Emily has an assistant. Her name is Sandra. Sandra has an assistant. Her name is Megan, right? So as Emily became a more vital piece of me and me becoming productive, we had to offload a lot of the small stuff like filtering email and answering phone calls and all the other to Sandra. We had to get somebody to, to do that so that Emily could be more of a vital piece of the puzzle inside of my life. And then we had to do that for Sandra because Sandra became so vital for many other things. So anyway, that's what that is. Cool. And is that going to live off of your site? Where will that live? Yeah, it'll, it'll be on. Cool. ChrisGuerrero.com probably, 
Yeah, I haven't like listen, I'm not a salesperson for stuff like this. But yeah. It'll be it'll I'm sure it'll be on there. We'll talk about it on social probably when we talk about assistance stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll keep we'll and we'll bring it back up, you know, on the show because that's the other thing we'll do kind of at the end. We'll wrap up and we'll talk about different things that have happened. Now, that does bring up a good thing because what do you kind of use this, you know, this building up of your brand to do for your portfolio? Or what is the purpose of it? So I think there is going to be a purpose. A smart person would have a purpose prior to beginning it. My my reason behind it was to share. Um, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a, I, one day a week, I know I've mentioned this earlier on, or I alluded to it. Um, my, my week is like this, you know, Monday and Tuesday, and then Thursday and Friday, I work inside of my companies. It's a very strategic way I do it, and I'm happy to go over my schedule if, you, if that's a valuable to your listeners. Wednesday, however, Wednesday is when I work with other companies. I have an advisory program, and I work with 28 brands. And at the end of that day, I am so juiced and jazzed and excited that it's difficult for me to go to sleep that night. I literally need to find a way to wind down because I'm talking to you know, some companies are, are, are just, you know, in the early stages of seven figures. So they may be, you know, uh, two, three, four, five million dollars and growing. And then we have brands that are doing billions of dollars a month that are in there. And it's amazing and fascinating. And I love every second because it's not just me sharing things with them, which is why they're part of it. But I'm also learning a tremendous amount from them. And, and, it, and this is this cohesive nature that makes it so exciting for me. So that is the most exciting day of my week, without a doubt. I'm, I do a lot of great things. I'm usually done every day except for Wednesday around three so I can hang with my kids. I love everything about the way I've managed things, but so, so much juice on Wednesdays that I decided, you know, a year or a little bit more than a year ago, we're going to go online. We're going to go social. You know, I'm going to step out of the shadows and just kind of, th- you know, throw some content out there and see if it's a hit. It's, you know, we don't have a huge following. But our following are executives, our following are CEOs or high growth entrepreneurs. So the people who follow us are, are you know, high seven, mid, low, mid, even high eights and nine figure people who are in there learning and sharing comments on what the heck I'm talking about. So that's it's not like startups where we have five million followers on a social media. You know, we have we have whatever thousands instead of millions, but there it's our target demographic. Yeah, separate from the actual, you know, deliverables of your individual companies, you as this entrepreneur, yeah, a hundred well-placed connections will add much more value than five million people are like, oh, it'd be great if I could be like him. Yeah, yeah, it's great. But for you to have that, that is very smart. I like that. So as we're starting to switch gears and wind up the episode, I guess the big question that I want to ask you is if you had to look back on yourself five, ten years ago, what what one note would you give yourself to then get where you are now twice as fast? And for the listeners out there, yes, we changed the question. Trying a new one this time because uh, Chris, I don't think you know how you'd get back to 10 million from zero uh, anymore. Yeah, I, I have an answer and it's an embarrassing answer 
I believe what I w- the message I would give myself is to leave my ego at the door and um, ask for help more often. Like one of my, I believe one of the things that held me back, especially in the early days, like I'd have to correct you, Michael, and not and go back far more than ten years awesome. in order to really do this. <laughs> How far back are we going? We're going back to the late '90s instead of just ten years, but um, I would tell myself, you know, suck it up, ask for help. Uh, I did not do that. I did not admit that I needed it ever. Um, and help, by the way, is not reading a fucking book. I'm sorry to my language. It's not. It's not going to a seminar and sitting in the back of the room. Um, it's not going to 12 freaking events in a year and forgetting everything that you do. It is, it is finding somebody who's done it, who's done it over and over and over again, and then doing everything that you can to get, get around that person. The very first mentor that I had, maybe it wasn't the very first, but one that made one of the biggest impacts on my life was a personal development guy, had nothing to do with business. In fact, at the time, I don't know that he knew anything about business. He just knew personal development. His name is Bob Proctor. He, um, I, I, I remember uh, making a phone call to his company and I got a guy, a guy hands of the phone. His name was Mark, stupidest guy I think I've ever spoken to because the first words out of his mouth after I told him I want to hire Bob Proctor was you can't afford him. And I thought, what a stupid thing to say to somebody you don't even know. And that does, that's just, and he goes, but, but his deal was not to answer the phone and help. His deal was to sell tickets. So he said, but what you can do is you could get a ticket to his next live event. I said, okay, well, what's that? And I forget how much it was from memory. I think it was 3000 and something bucks. It was a lot. It was a year long program. It wasn't just one event. It was several things. And, it's, and I had to put th- three credit cards together to afford that at the time. And uh, he was right. I couldn't afford him, but he was rude of him to say. <laughs> but in uh, another case, this, uh, this guy was, made a profound impact on my life. And I learned a tremendous amount from him. And it you know, worked out incredibly well. Now, since then, you know, I was in his program. I kept him up to date on a regular basis as to what was going on in my life. Even after that program was over, we, connect, we created some kind of a connection. I grew. I used a lot of what he talked about as far as mental mindset goes to, to get to the point where I could sell my company. I sold my company. I started speaking on stages. I happened to text him. Oh, it was a text him or email. It was probably email him back then. And uh, let him know. I know you have an event in, in Arizona. I happen to be flying in from Australia. I'm going to be on stage out there. I'm flying in. I have a layover in Arizona or I have a layover somewhere around there. Can I stop in? I'd love to just bring you up to date. Absolutely. Stop in. Tell them at the front, at the front table that you're here as my guest and they'll bring you in. So I, I landed. I went to his event. It was like on day two or whatever of his event. They seated me right up front. He, he called on me. He said, I have a friend in the audience, blah, 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 blah. He announced me. He goes, Chris, tell them what you have been doing. He had no idea that I had just sold my company. And I told him, well, I just sold the company. I'm speaking now on stages. And he goes, how much did you sell it for? And I told him and his eyes freaking lit up. And I said, and a lot of what I learned from you is why I'm here. Because like that mental mindset that you helped me to achieve got me through all the bullshit. 
And, uh, and then after that, Bob, then we became friends. Bob got into my, my coaching program. And so I, I was able to help his company in a small way. And I don't believe any of that was payback for what he did for me because without him being able to push me over and actually get me to the point where I could dip my toe in the water of real financial success, nothing would have been would have been available. So I forget what the actual question was, but I got that was lost the in that answer. story. Yes. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's not the question, it's the answer. Well, um, thank you. I think, you know, we're definitely going to make sure that everyone knows about your site, your different social channels so they can come. You know, remember this is, you know, for those on the journey, you know, that you really, this type of audience that you're focusing on, but really getting out, because I'm excited about learning about how you look at hiring, you know, an assistant and making it so important to you. Yeah, I definitely, the collapsing of time frame, you know, your, your systems and your processes are really an interesting, the way you, way you bring them into your business. Because I think sometimes people tend to be very heavy, all systems, processes, and, you know, in a sense, all trees, no woods, or people like me, like, hey, look out there, <laughs> let's go do stuff. Just keep going. AJ is describing the two sides of our operating models. We're probably the, if, if you want to talk about the divide between like systems process and really high level strategy, I think we're the two ends of that spectrum. So it is interesting that you're balancing them and you're pulling them together in a way that the little bit I've done to try and do that has been successful in the way you talk about it. You've had the experience of doing it much, much deeper than I think I've given, allowed myself to even look at. So I think a lot to pull out from the notes, a lot to take action. So thank you very much you know, for sharing with us. Is there anything you would like the audience to do? You know, check out, interact with you. How, what would you like? I would like, I don't, if your audience is interested in scaling, whether that's from zero to six or to seven to eight to nine figures, um, I would like them to, you know, devour some of the information that I've put out. It's all free again on YouTube or, or Instagram or wherever we are online. We're all over. And they could do it just by using my name, Chris Guerrero. They could go to my website, chrisguerrero.com. We have a lot of good free tools out there uh, to help people understand what, you know, the fastest growing companies track and how they grow. That's it. And then interact. Because I think what I, you know, the value that I get is understanding what people think about a lot of the content out there. So, you know, we are, we're, we're blessed that people watch some of our YouTube videos. You know, that's, it's, I get a kick out of filming them. I don't watch them, but I all, but I do get a kick out of replying to the people who are actually commenting on them, but there's not enough. I want more people to comment so that I understand what they want next. So my, my, my give would be all the content. My ask, I guess, would be use it, you know, go out there, watch it and then interact with me, comment on stuff like that. We have a, we have a, a, a like a survey, not really a survey, but we have a quiz on um, chrisguerrero.com, which is called the Built to Grow Review, which helps businesses to understand what is breaking in their company as they grow 
And then it tells them at the end of this, this process, it tells them, hey, these are the things that we see that are holes and here's exactly how to fix them, right? There's no sales pitch. It's here's exactly how to fix them. And if they want, if they want a sales pitch, they can scroll to the bottom and they can say, hey, if you think you're qualified to get into Club 28, click this link and apply. You know, but there's no like here, buy these programs. It's telling them the, the solution that we see. Um, so interact with that also, you know, so my ask is interact with me. So I understand what more content to give. Perfect. Chris, thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much. Yes, I learned a lot and I know our audience well too. Thank you. Yeah, of course. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Wow. That was a lot of fun. I hope you all enjoyed listening to that. I don't know about you, but I really learned a hell of a lot. Thanks, Chris, for such a great talk. I'm really looking forward to having you yet back again on the show. And if you want to connect with Chris and learn more about his business, check out the links in the episode notes below. And if you want to learn more about the behind the scenes of this show, you can find me, AJ, on social media, see the notes below, and sign up for the Beyond Eight Figure newsletter, newsletter, where we share our juicy bits. Curious about what the juicy bits are? I hope you are too. All the links are available in the show notes below. Thank you, and I hope you have a great day. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.